Hi, hello, welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. And each week I'll be answering your questions on codependency, people-pleasing and dysfunctional relationships submitted to me via Instagram. So go ahead and follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. So welcome to this episode, my loves. We are going to kick off with a twofer. Our first question today is from Sophie. And her question was, how do I figure out if someone needs to change their behavior or I need to change my reaction? So I asked Sophie for some more context on this because I wanted to give a specific answer to this situation, but the generic answer is also super helpful. So as I said, you get two for the price of one with this question. I actually get asked some form of this question often because when we're codependent, we don't know ourselves very well and we struggle to identify and validate ourselves and our own emotions. We frequently also end up in dysfunctional relationships with manipulative people who gaslight us and minimize and invalidate our feelings. On top of that, because we're not very good at validating and expressing our emotions in a timely manner, They tend to build up inside us and quite often the only way we express how we're truly feeling is in a massive, irrational, emotional outburst. In that moment, we're not reacting to the thing that tipped us over the edge, but weeks and perhaps months of stored up frustration with someone. Then, of course, we're told that we're being oversensitive and irrational. And in that moment, we are. But had we been able to express how we felt in the moment, each and every moment that we needed to, it wouldn't have come to this. So, you know, those mystical people who can just laugh something off or laugh at a situation and just give it like massive whatever energy, even though it's something that you know, like does their head in. That's because they've expressed how they feel about it several times. And if the other person can't or won't listen or change, it kind of becomes a joke on the person who doesn't want to change. And the other party, your amazing mystical friend that just seems to be able to laugh it off, doesn't need to stress about it. It's just what it is. They've made peace with it. They've expressed themselves. It's kind of not their problem anymore. So if you're wondering if you're overreacting or if the other person needs to change their behavior, here are three questions that you can ask yourself as a guide to help you figure it out. So the first question is, When I feel calm and level, how important is this thing to me? If I wasn't already worked up over it, how much would this bother me from a standing start? And the answer to this question will let you know how much of your energy it's worth and whether your level of reaction is correct or based more in past frustrations and resentments. And this is absolutely something that you have to work out for yourself And you have to be able to validate what is important to you and be okay with stuff that is genuinely less important to you. But what's really, really important when you ask yourself this question is that you don't minimize the level of importance of something to yourself so that you can just make this situation okay. Because that is just another form of you shoving down how you really feel about something which is going to end up in resentment and frustrations and emotional outbursts later down the line. So you have to be very honest with yourself about how important a thing is to you. 
So second question that you can ask yourself when you're trying to figure out, is it me or is it them, is how often have I had to ask or wanted to ask for this behavior to be different? And how often is it actually changing or attempting to be changed? For example, they're trying, but they slipped up and forgot and didn't mind you mentioning it again, or they forgot and then realized, corrected and apologized versus being inconsistent with behavior change and then being pissed off that you dared to bring it up again because they find it boring or annoying. And the third question that you can ask yourself is, is the thing that bothers me indicative of how this person treats me as a whole or more indicative of their own personal foibles? So for example, if someone is just persistently 15 minutes late to everything, including work, family occasions, and like probably their own funeral, but they always seem flustered and like they really try to rush and get there and they apologize. It's just them. Like they love you, but maybe they just have general time management issues. Different energy if someone shows up to meet you 90 minutes late with an air of expectation that of course you would wait for them, no explanation or apology offered. That's much more indicative of someone who is very disrespectful of you. You know, there are levels and we can assess these based on our own experiences and values. Now, there's a lot of advice out there, I like to call it meme advice, we've all seen it on the gram, that says if someone invalidates how you feel, don't let them, your feelings are always 100% valid no matter what. But I actually don't agree with that. I think that like most things in life, it's much more nuanced and needs to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. In any interaction, two or more individuals with their whole life story and all their experiences and everything that has shaped them are coming together, and that is going to affect how they interact together. Obviously, if you know my work and you know, maybe you're new to me, maybe you're new to this podcast and you're tuning into me for the first time, you're gonna get to know I am very much about self-responsibility. And When we kind of listen to this meme style advice that says, you know, your feelings are always 100% valid no matter what, we're actually negating the self-responsibility part of this. This, of course, is not me victim blaming or, you know, pushing blame around anywhere, but just acknowledging that, you know, when two or more people come together, everyone is bringing their shit with them and that is going to affect how they interact together. And look, here's the thing, you get to make whatever decision you need to make. It may well be that you are overreacting, but that could be because this person's style, though not necessarily manipulative or abusive in any way, it's not intentional that they're triggering you, might just be triggering for you. You might find yourself to be a much more calm and collected person around everyone else in your life maybe this particular person is just not a good fit for you. And it's okay to walk away from a situation or a relationship or even just a specific interaction for this reason. There doesn't need to be a big dramatic reason for you to step away. You are allowed to do it for the benefit of your own peace of mind. Okay, so there's the kind of big, broad, general answer to give you a guide for the future in case you have a similar situation come up and you're wondering, is it me or is it them? And now I want to get into the answer to Sophie's specific question, because I also found this a really interesting dynamic to explore. So 
Sophie expanded to say, I'm struggling a bit with when I need to ask someone to change their behavior because it's impacting on me or whether it's my issue and I need to regulate my reaction to their behavior. The specific situation that brought this on was my sexual partner promising to plan a weekend away for us. We had the date set and it was getting closer and closer and they'd done nothing but keep assuring me that they'd send me some location slash Airbnb choices but never did. I ended up booking it myself because I got bored of waiting. Now I want to tell them about not feeling like they have to promise me the world to show their affection and that I'd much rather they just ask for help or not make those promises unless they're certain they can and will carry them out. I had a lot of this in my extremely codependent relationship with my ex and I suppose it's a bit triggering for me to feel that sense of being pulled in with promises only to be let down. But then I wonder whether I'm telling them how to live their life and whether it's me who needs to shift. So I happen to know that the partner in question here is um, like a casual friends with benefits situation, but it's, um, you know, apart from this little difficulty that they've had is very healthy it's very respectful it's very balanced it's very caring the communication is good but there's been a little kind of miscommunication here and what I thought was really interesting about this situation was that there's definitely some codependent tendencies coming out from Sophie here in the way that she had to take hold of the situation and control it. So a weekend away had been promised and it didn't seem to be materializing. And so she just like took it and made it happen, which is kind of a classic codependent behavior. It's not giving the other person autonomy. It's kind of being over attached to a specific outcome it's needing things to happen on a specific timeline personally what I might have done in that situation is rather than just make the weekend away happen and then probably feel quite frustrated and resentful that you're the one that had to make it all happen and that's kind of always in the back of your mind when you're meant to be like having a nice time away with this person that you like spending time with is kind of say to them, look, it doesn't seem like this is happening. I'm going to have to like make some other plans. It's okay to need and want and ask for structure. If someone has said we're going away for this weekend, it's okay for you to say, well, I'm going to kind of need like a month's notice on that because I need to organize my work or whatever. And if they can't meet a month's notice, they're still like, faffing around two weeks before having not booked anything it's okay for you to say hey if you're not going to book something like I'm just not going to be able to go on that weekend away I need more notice than this so that's probably how I would have handled that rather than taking control of the situation the other part of this is it's quite interesting because I think the actions and the promise of like a weekend away feels like it fits into a different relationship structure than they have. So a weekend away, to me, feels kind of more formal and relationshipy. And I think that maybe this is where some of the miscommunication comes in here. Is this a sign that one or both of them wants to move the relationship on to a different level? And therefore, has it kind of made things a bit messy or messier? rather than just being able to communicate, okay, this is not the dynamic that we have. We have like this casual thing. It's mutually beneficial. I love what it is. I don't want or need it to be anymore. This is kind of me 
playing Sophie in the role here. I don't, I don't need us to go on a weekend away. Like I just love spending time with you as we do. I don't need any more. And especially if you're not going to be able to deliver, I just really rather not have those false promises. You don't need to give me more. I'm kind of satisfied with what we've got. And I wonder if on the the part of the partner, if there's this feeling that maybe they need to give more and so they're trying, but ironically failing. (laughs) And then again, kind of just making things more complicated and messy than they need to be. This situation would have been fine and probably just much better, much healthier, much less stressful had this not even been on the table. It was not necessary. It was not something that Sophie had asked for, wanted or needed, but then ended up actually doing herself, which is just like, it's it's classic codependency and it's very uh, frustrating. And I think so, you could probably hear it in my voice, like so many of us are going to relate to that kind of situation. Someone has promised you something, you get your hopes up, you get attached to it, even if it's something that you didn't necessarily want or need, but your expectation is there and you're excited about it and then they don't deliver. So then you end up doing it and you're like, wait, so I could have just booked a weekend away for myself. So I think the question here about this specific situation that Sophie has brought to me is more about what is the dynamic of your relationship and what is the level of expectation between both of you, from both of you, from either side? And has it shifted since you first got together? You know, relationships should be continually reassessed and renegotiated obviously not on a daily basis that's exhausting but every few weeks every few months every few years depending on how long you've been together it's totally appropriate to keep reassessing and just keep checking in with yourself and also with your partner and kind of asking them like where are we at are you happy with where we're at asking yourself those questions because I think this is where maybe the complication has come in here and it's not so much about is it my reaction that's wrong or is it kind of their action that's wrong what I would say actually is that Sophie's feeling about this is correct like yeah it's kind of annoying that somebody promised you something and then couldn't deliver on it and as I explained earlier there's a different way to respond to that and yeah again like totally reasonable to expect that something that has been promised will be delivered on. Just as kind of super interesting and nuanced example, I think, of how and why it isn't always so clear cut when we ask that question. Is it my feelings that are being invalidated or am I overreacting? It's not always completely black and white. It's not always totally clear cut. Super interesting question. Thank you so much for that one, Sophie. We had a few questions around the same theme. So I'm going to answer them all together in this segment. And just a note to say that if you're ever nervous to ask a question, always know that you're not alone. Many people will have a similar question and will be so grateful that you asked it. So don't be shy when submitting your questions for the pod. And of course, if you want to, you can always be anonymous. So I'm going to give you this clutch of questions, then my answer, which is going to apply to all of them. So Ashley asked, 
how to move slowly when you're used to the manic high beginnings of passion. Victoria said, I'm in a new relationship and it feels like something's missing. Is it because there's no chase of the emotional cycle? So that's like the emotional highs and lows that we are so familiar with as codependent people. Sue said, how do you trust yourself moving into a new relationship slash looking for love again? And Kristen said, how to stop going in heart first and fantasizing about someone I'm dating. I feel like I'm always devastated, even if I've only met someone twice and it doesn't work out. Okay, I know so many of you are like, ding, 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 that is me, I relate. (laughs) They're all questions around the theme of how to move slowly and trust yourself when you're getting into a new relationship or looking to date when you're codependent. So we're going to go step by step. Step one, are you in recovery? Are you working with a coach or a therapist and or going to Codependence Anonymous meetings? If not, please start here. Codependency is an addiction to dysfunctional relationships. Please don't try to get into new relationships without at least having started that work on yourself. Two, have you been single for a while? Like actually single, like no friends with benefits, no exes on the back burner, no dating apps, no texting and flirting and situationships, etc. Have you had a cleanse, a detox from focusing on sex, love, romance and external validation in your life? If not, also, please start here. (laughs) Step three, do you have a solid routine in your life with non-negotiable items in your diary? like self-care and self-worth building stuff, i.e. are you making time to stay on top of your life admin, move your body, eat nutritious food, drink water, get your eight hours, do your recovery and healing work? If not, also, please do this. Step four, do you have a solid sense of who you are, what you want from a relationship, what you can give in a relationship, what your values are, what your boundaries and deal breakers are, If not, also please start here. Do this first. And step five. So we go through all of those steps first because the ultimate advice is go slowly when starting to date. Like so slowly that it will feel unnatural to you. But it's hard to go slowly if you don't have those first four foundational pieces in place. It's much easier to go slowly when you have a level of recovery and know who you are because you aren't desperately trying to cling onto every person who shows a bit of interest in you. A genuine connection with someone who is emotionally mature and available and knows how to communicate will survive a slow start. You won't be afraid to lose anyone who can't or won't move at your pace. Slowness also helps you to see the red flags and places where your values don't align. When you move at speed, you skip over the important details and instead end up in a relationship with a person's potential or the fantasy version of them that you have created. Remember also that if you do notice yourself moving too quickly or getting back into the realms of fantasy about someone, you can also slow it down, dial it back a notch or two, slow down the communication, see them less frequently, and don't be afraid to communicate this to them. You know, a great way to do that is something like, I see this going somewhere, so I don't want to rush it. I want to slow things down and really savor the start of our connection. 
it can be a lovely thing. It doesn't have to be something awkward and confrontational. And this is honestly one of my hottest tips for you. If you've done all of that good stuff that I recommended and you're in a place where you're genuinely ready to date again, don't tell all your friends about it. Obviously for safety and just because you're a human and you'll probably want to tell at least one person, let someone know your plans. But tell your least dramatic friend and let it be very low key. You can just say something like, Uh, hey, I met this person, they seem nice, we're meeting for coffee on Saturday, I'll let you know how it goes. Instead of, oh my god, I met this amazing person, and they do this for their work, and they have this amazing hair, and like, oh, but you know, they're like not super communicative, because they had like this really difficult childhood, and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So much of the fantasy that we create for people happens in the process of trying to convince ourselves and our friends what a perfect match we are for this person before we've even met them. Look, of course you can get excited about a person. Of course you can get excited about dating. I never want to take that away from you. But get excited when you know that there's something to get excited about. Oh, and another very hot tip. Let the first date, and I'm doing air quotes around this, be a meeting. Very formal. I know after 18 months spent in fucking Zoom meetings, that's the last thing you need in your life is another meeting. But let it just be a time that you meet up and see if you actually like each other in real life. And if you do, then you can set a date. So that first meetup is just a coffee or drink or dog walk and a chat. It takes all the pressure off the first date, having to be all datey and romantic and therefore either a success or a failure. Again, this is a great way to slow things down and just make it all a bit more realistic um, instead of living in codependent fantasy land as so many of us can be prone to do. So I hope that gives you a helpful step-by-step guide so that you can do a little temp check with yourself on whether you're really ready to get out there again. And just one final note that I want to say on being ready. You know, it can be hard to tell when we are. And quite often when we've gotten into recovery, we will go out and start dating and meeting people again, maybe before we're necessarily ready. We can be tempted once we've done some work on ourselves as well to think that the first person that we meet on the other side of some recovery work or therapy is our reward for having taken this difficult step and done this hard work and done the introspection that is required to start recovering from something like codependency. And often the case is that first relationship or those first few relationships or connections that we get into are kind of messy because we're probably not really ready. We probably could do with doing a little bit more recovery work. We're still finding our feet. And there is a certain amount of this work that does need to be done in relation with other people. And maybe we're practicing that for the first time. Maybe we're meeting people for the first time almost as a new person, as a person that we haven't known for very long. So don't put too much pressure on the whole situation. Don't beat yourself up. Go slowly. Yes, you deserve love. Yes, you deserve 
to be desired. Yes, you deserve for someone to treat you well and to feel attractive and interesting. Yes, you deserve to be excited about dating and relationships. And just because you've done the work or started to do the work, it doesn't mean that every relationship, every connection going forward is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to apply what you've learned perfectly. And that's okay. You're still allowed to be a human being. So I just want to give you that as well. On top of my on top of my five steps telling you all the things that you need to do before you get out there, I just want to give you some love on the other side of that and say, it's okay if you still fuck up. It's okay if you figure out that you move too quickly or you fantasized about a person. Just try and stay aware, pull it back, get back on the horse, get back on your recovery grind and you'll be good. Okay, so our final question for today's episode comes from Leith and they asked, how to move forward when your negative codependent behaviors, manipulation, etc., get called out and you lose your friends? Not good people themselves, but still. The answer is partly in your question. Not good people themselves, but still. And there are some things that we need to talk about before we get to this part. Look, of course, this is never going to feel great. And I am not about to minimize how difficult it must feel to lose your friends. This is the same for all relationships that either leave our lives or that we have to let go of. Even if we make the decision and we know they're not good for us, it's still hard when someone we've been used to having around is no longer there. So of course, it's going to feel especially hard, particularly for someone who is codependent, because we very much rely on being liked and having people around us to validate us. If those people decide that their relationship with us is no longer working for them, there will be feelings of guilt and shame piled on top of what is already a not very nice feeling situation. Here's the thing, shame grows in the dark. It cannot survive being exposed to the light. And what that means is talking about it and not allowing it to fester within you. The truth is we're all human, we all fuck up, we all make mistakes, we all do things we regret and wish that we could take back. Talking about the painful and possibly shame-inducing part of this, you know, it's my fault that they left, with your partner, your other friends, family, a therapist or a coach, whoever you love and trust will help. It's going to dissipate any shame feelings that you might be experiencing. And then when you're ready, it's time to circle back around to the not very good people part of your question. So I checked out your profile and I saw that you are a lovely whippersnapper Gen Z baby in your very early 20s. Here's some advice from an elder millennial that can be quite soothing when we're experiencing people leaving our lives. And that is that people come into our lives for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Sometimes people come to show us something about ourselves Sometimes we teach people something that they need to learn. Often we both have opportunities to grow from knowing each other. Very few people in our lives will stick around for the long haul. Transitional relationships are a normal part of life. Sometimes the value in a relationship is not always the content of the relationship itself, but the lesson that we take away from it when we have distance and the benefit of hindsight. So you say, Leith, that these were not very good people. 
So though it hurts now, maybe they actually did you a favor by leaving your life. And now you are no longer burdened with these dysfunctional connections. And you have the opportunity to look at what you want to do differently. We often make the biggest, most significant changes in our lives when we get sick of our own shit. You mentioned manipulative behaviors in your question. Perhaps this is your opportunity to look at what causes that behavior in you and work on that. Do something productive with this pain and give yourself the gift of transformation. Also, again, some advice from your friendly local elder millennial. Most of my best and closest friends, the people who really get me and are really there for me, I have made in my late 20s onwards. You do not stop making new friends as you age, I promise. So the TLDR summary here is, if they weren't good for you, great, the trash took itself out. And the way you move forward is you take this steaming pile of shame, guilt and gross feeling and use it to motivate you into becoming closer to the person that you want to be. Let it show you the wounds that you need to heal and get closer to who you really are in all your absolute fucking majesty. Okay, my loves, we have come to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for all your brilliant questions and thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the pod. It helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier, more fulfilling relationships. And I'd like to remind you that my codependency recovery community, Wildly Worthy, is open now. For less than £50 or $65 a month, you can get access to weekly Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. And if you would like me to answer your question on a future episode of the Anti-People Pleasing podcast, don't forget to follow me over on the gram at Joe Westwood and submit your questions in my stories every Monday. Okay, my loves, until next time. <laughs>